0: Welcome to the Louisiana Sugarcane News Podcast, brought to you by the American Sugarcane League. I'm your host, Sam Irwin. Jim Wiesmeyer. An internationally recognized commentator on agroeconomic issues has been reporting on agriculture since the 1970s. He has interviewed every American president on farm policy issues since peanut farmer Jimmy Carter ran the country. Sugar cane, sweet sugar cane, the sweetness of our southern trees Here's Jim.
1: I would introduce you to the Dean of Ag Journalists, the whirling dervish, Jim Wiesmeyer, who will put on a show. So if you have seatbelts there, you might want to strap in. It's going to be a rough ride. Jim?
2: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thank you. You know... (laughs) I'm gonna tell you about Trump from what I know and feel comfortable with and about you know, 45 minutes of comfort, okay? Because I don't know what he'll tweet. Covering him for two years, I always say, each year is like a dog year. It it feels like 14 years. Uh, I'm exhausted, but he isn't. Uh, I've never seen anybody like him. I do a lot of speeches in this great country. I just came from Sugar Beet meeting in uh, Arizona. Uh, They're feeling okay, they're feeling pretty good. Good crop like you. Pretty good prices, always could be better. okay, sugar content. Uh, uh, When I went to corn and and soybean country, uh, corn thinks that the prices should be higher based on the fundamentals, and they're probably right. Uh, Soybeans, uh, a lot of producers who received that Trump tariff payment, um, don't want to say it publicly, but if they were prudent marketers, uh, last uh, fall around $10. Uh, coupled with the uh, Trump tariff payment, uh, you know, they're cash flowing, I think, better than people think. So translation there is uh, probably soybean acres are going to go down less than the market thinks. Corn will probably go up less than the market thinks, right around that two million uh, acre uh, area. I was in Chicago a couple weeks ago at a top producer meeting, Sanctuary City, okay? So I decided, where's this Sanctuary office? So I went there, and they said, well, you can't sign up for Sanctuary because you're a citizen. And I said, well, I come from Washington, D.C. I want sanctuary from all the havoc that I have to, you know, go through there. And they go, oh, if you're negative about Trump, we have a direct line to CNN, Washington Post, etc. But anyway, so I'm going to go through some things for you. And, well... I always begin with positive news and I end with positive news because there's too much negativity, you know, all over, all over. Again, you've heard me over the years, a glass half full is very good news because my father taught me, uh, he remembers when it was empty, you know, during the Depression years. So let's look at some things. Your groups, your lobbyists, and I'm not just saying it because I'm here. They get an A for their report card. Why? As, uh, Jack said, uh, you got a one cent, it wasn't big, a one cent increase or equivalent to uh, increase in the loan rate when that was in neither the House or Senate Farm Bill. It shows you what can happen in a conference committee. Okay? I think it would have had to go up about six cents or so to really affect price, but you don't want loan rates to affect price. Okay? But that was a score. The Louisiana and Sugarcane I mean, the News Podcast is brought to
0: you by the American Great Sugarcane Warriors League.
2: Have the biggest
0: for more information about the Louisiana sugarcane and industry, and visit lacane.org. I'm your host, Sam Irwin. Thanks
2: for listening. Don't let your heart down sweet sugarcane. How much they lost in the sweetness of the Southern we now have over 100 members and their staff. So your groups are going to have to educate not only the newer lawmakers, but I think more importantly the staff, because they really do the work, to be honest with you. And that's going to take time. Now... Uh, on the, you know, challenges ahead, uh, you're looking out. House side committee now is Colin Peterson. Uh, he knows, he knows sugar beets. He comes from the, you know, you, you know, biggest, uh, you know, beet growing district in the U.S. And if you know beets, you better know can. Okay. Uh, but, and he has protected that program in an expert way for many years now. But, uh, he either may not run in 2020 or he's, uh, he's starting to give the signals that, uh, to pass the baton. And, uh, he knows the other people on his committee, while, uh, intelligent, they need a lot more education. So that's another uh, endeavor. If he were not to run, and the Democrats uh, regained control uh, I mean, and, and, and kept control of the House, it would be David Scott from Georgia, at least a Southerner. Pat Roberts from the Senate Ag Committee is not running for re-election in 2020, so that would mean Bozeman from Arkansas, again at least from the South, and uh, if he d- did not take it for whatever reasons the next chairman on the Republican side would be uh, Senator John Holden uh, I think very good news for the overall sugar industry uh, he is one of the more intelligent senators yeah he hasn't seen a camera he doesn't like I mean he's very talkative but he uh, knows your program and he works very well with southern lawmakers on sugar. Program. So watch those people. Jack mentioned uh, appropriations. You have uh, key appropriators. The head of the House Appropriations Committee is Nita Lowley. She's a Democrat from New York, and I think she came around actually on that sugar amendment this time. She doesn't uh, always, uh, you know, it is the case. Holden, there's that name again, is the House, it's the Senate Ag Appropriations Committee chairman so you have to know uh who's uh who's in place there uh as far as the budget what the divided Congress, I see agriculture continuing to be lumped in into you know, multiple department appropriations. Now that's not necessarily bad because then that limits the number of amendments, if any, that can be attached and uh, you always have to fear amendments from these people who want to do away with your uh, program. I do not see a, a big thrust to cut you know, government uh, expenditures, uh, in, a, in about a month you're going to see President Trump uh, unveil his his budget proposals for fiscal year 2020. Just, you know, disregard them. Uh, both Democrat and Republican presidents always propose cuts, and uh, significant cuts the last few years for agriculture. It just will, will not happen, especially at this particular uh, time. Um, as far as Trump, how do how do you capture uh, our president? Wherever I go in farm country, I am I am seeing continued support uh, for him. Now, in some of the soybean country, uh, there's a, t- a clock ticking, because they can feel the pressure going on with the uh, China uh, uh, aspects, and more on that later, because I think trade policy is one of the most important topics in Washington right now. But he's proudly politically incorrect, he's intentionally unpredictable to everyone, uh, He's media-obsessed, okay, very thin-skinned. He's speaking directly to the public with his tweets, and um, I don't blame him in a lot of different ways, I just wished he wouldn't tweet as often, but he knows that that's what helped get him elected, because of the mainstream so-called press was against him. I'll have more on the media later. I think he made a mistake on the partial government shutdown. Uh, the one-plus side is that it, it did show in the record 35 days that the government was out and I don't see another government shutdown this calendar year. Uh, the Republican leadership in the Senate, led by Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky uh, will probably make sure that that doesn't happen again. Trump could have had the same thing that he eventually got when he signed uh, the uh, the measure to get the government back uh, in December. You know, it reminds me you have to know when to stop. Uh, you know, things. I remember when I was growing up in the Catholic Church, you used to have to, you know, go to confession and you have to say your confession. And I used to roll them off. I used to say I kicked my brothers and sisters, etc. But one day, my father, you know, Father Deane, said, "Wait a minute!" And I was just shocked. He asked a question. He goes, "How many times do you kick your brothers and sisters?" And I said, "You mean I have to start counting?" <laughs> so, I stopped, <laughs> so this is what lawmakers ought to do if i I hear many things, uh, not just in the rural sector uh, but in the cities when, when I tell people that I try to cover the White House and Congress. One thing uh, everyone of them say is, "Why don't lawmakers' salaries be uh, cut off if there's a government shutdown?" That's that is uh, significant. Uh, there. I don't have to do a poll on that one, but you will not see that happen. It's just you know self-preservation. Okay. Now look on the right side. What has our president done? He's done a lot of things. Not all, but a lot of things. He campaigned on, and if he, if he runs for re-election, I think this will be his message. He's remaking global trade, uh, high risk, high reward, China, uh, Tax reform and cuts. Now a lot of people say, no, oh, the tax cuts were for the rich. Uh, I think it did make a difference in, in uh, more than a few corporations and companies. They're people, too. And they've reinvested uh, some, bought new equipment, uh, became more efficient, etc. I just will never be negative on a tax cut wherever it uh, you know goes. Controlling immigration. He's trying to control immigration. Other than the current price situation and the financial situation in parts of uh, agriculture that's beginning to show some yellow caution flags, especially in the Midwest, uh, there's two other big issues in farm country. Uh, where do I find labor? How do I keep labor? And three, health care and that's the next one. I think there's a consensus building in Washington, even between Republicans and Democrats, on trying to get a handle on drug prescription cost. I think when he's uh, through with his presidency, his signature issue will be the Judicial and Supreme Court... Uh, nominees and confirmations. I I really do. It's it's very important. And a a reason why a number, more than a few voters voted for him in the last presidential election. Uh, You know, deregulation. You know, remember, it hasn't been too many years ago in which uh, the Obama administration was issuing a lot of new regulations where the Federal Reserve, I mean the, you know, Federal Register was about that thick every day. Well, that's gone down to about here. And uh, he'll mention the deregulation probably tonight at the State of the Union. Now, see what we got here. Oops. There we go. Now, the next three slides, with my spin, comes from Bruce Melman. He's a Republican strategist, but I think he, he did a good job in capturing why are we here where, where we're at right now. Can you help me explain uh, how we got here? Now, this is from the publishing, the media perspective. You know, in the 60s, when I was growing up, we had, uh, we actually watched network news, and the majority of us uh, actually believed it. You know, I don't watch network news anymore. I just can't. And I've come up from a media reporting boot. Yeah. You know, I don't know whether they were lying too back then. <laughs> I just didn't know it, okay. But there was a sense that they were true news people. Then we go into uh, the mid-80s and the 90s, and we had the, the invention of Al Gore's internet, okay. <clears throat> uh, And we had all make-your-own-news, five-year-old-news, et cetera. And and the millennials, this is where they get their news, you know. Uh, There's no editors, or very few editors uh, in this. And then we jump into the current situation, where you have cable news, the so-called analyst. Now, I don't even watch most events anymore. I just go crazy. Even Fox News, which I, I like, uh, but uh, the only one I really listen to now is Judge Jeanine. I just feel like her you know, on Sunday. She, well, she, she'll come at you. But she accurately predicted Trump. She really did when you go back. I can't give her too much credit because she probably had inside information from Russia. Now, <laughs> these other ones people cards really it's not news of course it's analysis now a number of them are okay on any given day but it's it's again yeah, it's your own analysis and the YouTube etc uh, even the so-called beat reporters last Thursday in the White House Trump uh, opened it up because they had the meeting you know with the Chinese you know Trump delegation and uh, Liu hey uh, a, a top representative from their president, Xi Jinping, read a letter from Xi to Trump. And in there, uh, the reader said they were going to uh, purchase 5 million tons of soybeans uh, a day. And any Aggie, hearing that, said that there's something wrong with that. Secretary, Ag Secretary Purdue was there and he finally said, no, they meant today. But yet some wire service people reported 5 million tons a day. There's no editors. So be careful. Be careful. Now the soybean market wasn't open. I was hoped it was, would have been open so you would have got a spike high so you had sold it, but it, but it wasn't. And truth be known, this is a true story. People tell me that some White House staffers scurried around and they said, Are you sure it's tons and not bushels? I mean, just think five five billion <laughs> bushels. So these these things actually go on. Okay? Now, then we go leadership. You don't have to be well-known anymore. Look at, you now we say, you know, AOC, as if everybody knows her, okay? Uh, Alexandria uh, Casio-Cortez. That's, I'm trying to be charitable when I say this. Uh, 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 you know, socialist democracy, I guess, would be a palatable way to say it, you know? uh, She's got more hints been House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. This world is changing. Yeah? On the presidency, the old rules don't apply. You saw that the last election and it'll go in spades this time. You don't need more money. I mean, look at all the money that uh, Hillary had versus uh, Trump really didn't uh, spend all that much in in comparison. You you certainly didn't need the endorsements. George Bush had more than a few. 87, to much lower for Trump. And you didn't need the so-called elites with the newspapers, the lawmakers, etc. Look at Hillary versus uh Uh, Trump. And then, uh, we didn't even need more votes. Hillary got 2.4 million more votes than, uh, Trump did, but that was California. You know, so. Uh, so, how did he win? You know how he won. He captured a wave. He didn't cause what was happening, and it's just not going on here. It's going on in many parts of the world, where uh, the a populist tone. Uh, I, I talked to a lot of voters who said they hadn't voted for eight to ten years, and they came out to vote. He uh, he got the voter to. Uh, believe that uh, neither political party was speaking for them and he was going to rise above the political parties. He's not really a Republican to tell you the truth. I think he's the beginning of a third party which we probably should have anyway as a checks and balances. That's how he won and of course people did not want Hillary Clinton. That was the other big, big reason. Now Here's the most important chart that Bruce Melman had, that I think explains what's going on right now, and it could last a while, but this is a battle. Battle for policy, direction of the country, the group who thinks change is coming too fast around the world. Brexit, uh, we have to be politically correct you know, uh made in China versus uh, you know, the globalism versus change is coming too slow. Seeing a lot of Democrats in this category. They want to change. They want free free things. Free health care, free college, etc. Eh, don't worry about that it costs 3.2 trillion dollars a year. Eh, don't don't get into details and that's capturing a lot of younger voters. Of course, they want free. Yeah? They got 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80,000 in debt with college. So this is a siren song. So this is the I think a test of where we can we can sell capitalism again uh versus the new version of socialism. It's a big heavy issue. I don't know how it's gonna end. I think capitalism will win out because we've got winners uh, in that and it doesn't bankrupt us. Here's one, you think we're in a litigious society? Yes. These are all the state's challenges of Trump on immigration, tax, energy. You've seen them and heard them in the news of how if someone doesn't like what he announces, especially in executive orders, they seek an injunction. And frequently they get it through the Ninth District Court, which is quite liberal. But look at that versus the other presidents going back to Reagan. I say, where is the courts when you really need them? Because when the guy who uh, complained about the NFL game between the Saints and the LA Rams uh, that he wanted to play over, he lost that battle. Okay, I didn't want either team to win uh, the uh, you know Super Bowl. <laughs> Forget New England, but I rooted for New England because you should have been in it. He should have been in it. So wear the cords when you need it. Now, things can get done. Believe it or not, we're going to see if leaders can lead here, and hopefully we'll begin tonight to hear some words of unity. But the but the press will say, "Oh, that's uh, that's the teleprompter Trump versus the tweeter Trump." I, I can already write the stories they're going to write about it. I mean, it's so well. No. But we're going to see. We're going to see if the, how the Democrats react in the audience to see whether there's any chance to go back toward the middle from both political parties. The potential deals, I'll talk about, the well, the left is easy to talk about. The Democrats in the House now have the power of subpoena, so you're going to have investigation after investigation after investigation. Will they overplay their hand? Will there be too much of it? I don't think there's going to be impeachment, but they can still overplay their hand going into 2020 elections. On the right, infrastructure. That's one of agriculture's comparative advantages. Our river systems, our railroad systems, our highway systems, our port facilities. I don't think I have to tell you all that. Uh, but they're in need of reform, improvements, and some new facilities. And it takes Money. Uh, perhaps creative use of money. Uh, I talked about drug prices. Uh, trade policy. The U.S., uh, Mexico-Canada agreement. NAFTA 2.0. Uh, the Democrats are signaling, uh, they want enforcement. They usually do, and I don't blame them for that. But you can do that with side letters to make sure that this agreement is enforced. But if agriculture hasn't taught the country and Congress anything, in the almost two, almost year that we've been through the Trump tariffs relative to the war, or whatever you want to call it with China, it's the importance of market access. I I can't understand any farm group or commodity group that's going to be against the USMCA. So I'm not looking to Farm Bureau for their... They'll they'll try to push it, and and I think that's the right approach. I'm looking at, one of my few times in my career, I'm looking at the National Farmers Union. Why why would I say that? NFU? Uh, They have never... Does a farm group come out in favor of a multilateral trade agreement? Never. So if they don't come out in favor of this one, does that mean they don't want a North American market like we have? That despite what Trump says, that NAFTA is the worst trade agreement ever, he's wrong. Tell that to a corn producer or a soybean producer or a meat producer, especially pork and dairy, etc so I'm going to look to them. I think it will eventually you know get approved more on that later. Disaster aid uh that's where you do have bipartisan empathy. Uh when the chips are down significantly, no matter where in the country is it is, they usually come out, out with multi-billion dollar ad hoc disaster, and you're gonna see another one, big big one, coming out as part of this appropriations bill that will eventually you know be done. I know a number of you told me uh you had a, you had a good tonnage. Uh, you had okay prices but a number of you had harvest problems but not near anywhere on the disaster side. Now I, I think a lot like a Midwest person even though I've been in the East for over 40 years and the first thing I thought was well do you have a, a, a harvest uh, cost insurance policy? There isn't one you know. Well, why not? Tell your insurance agents to get creative. They, they have the, the data, because you know your average, uh, harvest cost, so they can put a parameter of risk on it. There's a back, you can come in in a back way under revenue assurance, uh, you, you know, different ways, but I would behoove you to go for, uh, a harvest cost insurance a number of you told me, it's uh, the price of diesel, of, of, of what it costs you at the tail end of an extended harvest, etc. So look into that. Uh, tax extenders, if you're biodiesel, the program lapsed. I think uh, Senator Chuck Grassley is the Finance Committee Chairman. Uh, he's going to push for that as part of this omnibus spending bill. Border security. This is where, again, wherever I go, rural country, city, uh, they, they blame both parties. They're saying, this is so sophomoric to get into a words game where where House Speaker Nancy Pelosi doesn't even want to mention Wall. Okay? Call it something different. You know? Uh, but there is, I don't know whether it's a national emergency, but Republican leaders do not want Trump tonight to say he's declaring a national emergency in order to get the Wall started. Of course it will go right into court if he were to do that. The reason they don't want him to is the precedent that it would set for another president, let's say a Democrat, coming in and saying, looking at climate change, or whatever you want to call it, and saying, this is a national emergency. We will have taxes on oil, etc. See, this is how precedent is very important. Uh, think about the president, that uh, Democrat leader at the time, Harry Reid from Nevada, got upset at the Republicans for not approving some uh, nominees in the justice area, so he changed the rules to, you didn't have to have 60 votes to break a filibuster, did 50, majority. You saw the significance of that when the Republicans got back into power, and they did it for a Supreme Court Justice that was big. so precedent is important when you watch that debate. Now, can the Senate really deal with Trump if we have at least seven Democratic senators running for the presidency? because they're going to show a vote. It's just that's politics. Do they want to give him any victories? This could play into a host of, of things in the policy end. The easiest thing to do in Washington is to stop something. The hardest it is is to get something. So we're gonna see. We're gonna see. Now a number, there's a few here that I would watch. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, the Democrat from Minnesota Midwest. So she's got some of the Minnesota nice uh, in her. Uh, and she knows the, the value of a consensus building in the Farm Bill, you know? Um, the only way a Republican can win the White House, it was told to me several years ago by David Wasserman, a good friend of mine from the Cook Political Report, is for them to win one of the key industrial states. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. That's what Trump did. So I'm going to look at the Democratic candidate to see if they can challenge Trump if he were to run for, you know, re-election. If it's Joe Biden, again, the millennials wouldn't like that because they want a younger person uh, on it. The Obama coalition, even though Biden was his vice president, uh, they may be leaning towards someone that can galvanize the old Obama coalition. Uh You've got today on the Oprah show, she's gonna interview, uh, uh, Beto, uh, Beto O'Rourke. Uh, he didn't win the Senate election in Texas, but if the Hispanics would have voted in Texas the way they did, uh, during the presidential election, uh, Cruz would have lost in Texas. So, what are the dynamics. I have a foggiest idea who's gonna be the Democratic candidate. You know, late in the game in 2016, no one had Trump on as a Republican nominee. You know, you know, the smart people who predicted there was no chance he would win, and he won. So they have to prove themselves to me, okay? So it's, it's hurdles. I'm not saying it's impossible to get consensus and unity on a few things. Budgets there is because why why is it going to be easier to get appropriations through now because these are well versed people in appropriators and this Homeland Security conference report that they have going on until February the 15th all 17 members are appropriators they're used to working with you know both political parties and yes Congress can work sometimes now. Get down and say, gosh, Washington, there's nothing getting done. Look at the last two years. Congress actually did a lot. I have to tell you, the farm bill, look at the votes, 369 in the House, 87, 87 in the Senate. It's hard to get a bill, even the 60. To, you know, to get through. Uh, the Water Resources Development Act. We have a few more that you see in there. Uh, so things can get done if it's educated and if it's, uh, you know, goes across party lines and doesn't get involved into, uh, the next presidential election. Very little is going to be done next year. So the third year of any first-term president is key to get things done. It's also good, by the way, for the equities market. A clear correlation of uh, almost a booming stock market the third year of any presidential uh, 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 person in the White House. Uh, you know, whenever you get down on your commodity prices... I've got an angle for you, because I use it all the time, especially in the equities market. In December, oh, it was ugly. You know, 401k was 301k again. Oh, it just was horrible. So, I'm gonna give, mold whenever I depart, you know, all great men are dead and I don't feel well myself, okay? So, when I do depart, I'm gonna leave all my money or whatever assets to one nephew, my favorite nephew, I haven't told him that. But I call him up when the market's really down. I go, you had a bad day. Okay? And I just go drink a beer. You know? I have fun. So, you know, do that for yourself, and you'll make better decisions so you won't have to worry. Younger people in the audience, don't don't even look at your... Just buy the dips. Buy the dips. Okay? Now, I think we're running out of battery. Whoop. There we go. You know, presidential election, before we get into policy. 2020, you're probably sick of it, but the geography is shifting in this great country. We've got some swing states are looking more blue or Democrat, and that's Colorado and my home state now of Virginia that's been in the news lately. Uh, Others are more red or Republican, Iowa. In Ohio, important because of Iowa uh, and their caucuses and that, and uh, Ohio is key as a, as a swing state. Others are purple: Arizona, which I was just at, because of the different people coming in, uh, you know, to the state, retirees, etc. North Carolina, Michigan, and Wisconsin. So, the six states that will decide the presidency in 2020 are Florida. Arizona, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. I'm not saying the other states are not important, but uh, these are the key. These are the key. Trump has a foil now. You know, you've seen him. He's got to have a foil. Now it's House Speaker Pelosi and the Democrats. Will they overreach? What are they doing? If they're just obstructionists, you know how Trump will react. He's like a pit bull dog. Now Pelosi won an initial battle, you know, uh, on, the, on the wall and the government shut down and uh, the State of the Union address that she delayed for a week and he got even a little bit. Remember when he uh, wouldn't authorize a military plane for her to go uh, uh, overseas. Now some people say Trump made a mistake. He should have left her go overseas and then stopped the plane from coming. <laughs> but I will tell you this, I've watched you know, Pelosi, most of my career. She's not just the cafe latte liberal from San Francisco. Uh, she was born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland, when it was run uh, correctly. And her father was mayor. And she kept the book of favors. And she learned to wheel and deal from her father. And she is a woman who has made it to a very high level of power. Speaker of the House. And still sexist Washington DC. So don't underestimate her. She's powerful. Now, voting numbers present a hurdle for Republicans. The reason, in the midterm elections, not just California, in this case, in the last midterm elections, Democrats voted 9.4 million more times than Republicans. Now, they were galvanized. Will the Republicans be energized going into the next election? Hurdle. They don't. Who I've already talked about who the Democrats will pick. I have no idea. Now, Jack, maybe you can go up there and just press it. Let me thanks. Now, in the Senate, the Senate has two more senators, you know, this Congress than they did last, and it, it makes it easier to get things through—not easy, but easier. Uh, in the coming 2020 elections. 22 state seats are up on the Republican side versus only 12, you know, for the Democrats. So you would think, oh, numbers, it doesn't look good. Republicans are going to lose control of the Senate. That's not the case when you go through state by state. Republicans have only two states where Hillary won, uh, Colorado and Maine. And Colorado is turning uh, more liberal, purple. As uh, more and more Californians move in, etc., Florida, 1,000 people a day move into Florida. Many, you know, where they come from. Many come from New England area, and they bring their voting proclivities with them. So, Florida is changing. Texas. When the no-tax state, so they're getting a lot of corporations to move into Texas, California, elsewhere, and what do they bring with them? In many cases, people, and they vote. So Texas is changing. Um, The Democrats need a net gain of four seats if the Republicans win the White House, three if the Democrats win because the Vice President breaks ties in the Senate. Now the Democrats would need to win five states that supported Trump. Arizona, Georgia, Iowa, North Carolina, and Texas. They'll lose Alabama, where Doug Jones won that you know, special election last year. Okay, on the House, my friend David Wasserman. Look up Cook Political Report. Uh, they have some things free, and he's a young guy and such an expert. I, I'd see the maze with me. He has recall he could be in this room if you had every district in this country represented and he knows the sitting congressman and the opponent in the race. Uh, I've seen him in audiences where try to stump Dave. Okay? Not Letterman. Try to stop Dave Wasserman. Now, so I respect his intelligence. Now, he thinks that at this stage, subject to, this is why you have weekly newsletters, subject to revisions, okay? He thinks the Republicans are going to regain the House in the 2020 elections. Hmm. Why? His biggest reason, Democrats are going to have to defend 31 House districts. That Trump won in 2016, and 22 of them are, are freshmen, so they can be had with experience and how they voted their first few years. The Republicans need a gain of 18 to 19 seats. I say the spread because of the controversy in North Carolina's ninth you know, district. Not impossible at all, but it depends too whether or not the presidential candidate has any co- coattails. With uh, him or her, Uh, the it's not going to be easy for Republicans because in November they won 23 House seats by five points or less. So you can see it's 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 going to be a harder call again. Okay, Jack. Now the farm bill. I'm just going to bottom line because frankly, I don't get many questions about the farm bill. Believe it or not. Why? It's, you know, it was kind of the, I guess the best farm bill you could have received with the money, uh, they had to work with. Not that money gives you the best policy. I think it's decisions that give you, you know, the best policy. But, uh, uh okay, Jack on the next one. You all know about 80% of the funding goes for nutrition food stamps. Then you have crop insurance that's coming up. It used to be farmer safety nets, but now crop insurance. Uh, I will always, uh, you know, comment favorably on the insurance. I like to call it insurance program, uh, because it, it's made the difference of profit and loss for too many farmers for too many years. And, uh, Lawmakers, many still don't know the big checks that you all write for, you know, crop insurance. they, were they could get if your eyes bug out so that you, uh, you, act, you know, farmers have skin uh, in the game. I was in Nankato, Minnesota a few weeks ago. Uh, about 15 degrees below zero. Wind, uh, 30, 40 miles an hour. Uh, snow on the road. Of course, they clean their roads. Spot you could eat off, eat off of them. Of course, they had their meeting. Uh, last week I was in Mississippi Farm Bureau. They had a forecast of two inches of snow, so they canceled the second day of the meeting. <laughs> Talk about differences in regions, you yeah. But at this Minnesota meeting, I don't know how many corn producers came up to me and said, you know, I had an okay year in corn, good year in beans. I had 70 bushel beans, average. Yeah. But the Revenue Assurance Program really saved me for corn. So, I kept hearing that. Uh, So, I tell farmers, if you're cutting cost, then you should, because I think this is gut check year for many in agriculture, uh, for reasons I'll explain later, don't cut risk management uh, in your operation. Cut elsewhere. Okay, Jack. Now here's the farm bill reference prices, target prices. You know you got the loan rates. Um, uh, they 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 have an escalator clause in there when prices not if when prices for commodities are bullish again. And this 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 too shall pass. We'll be back to demand pull markets probably sooner than most people think. Uh, there's a mechanism in there to raise those reference prices. Where I think it was a strategic mistake in the Senate Farm Bill was when Senate Ag Committee Chairman Pat Roberts, Republican from Kansas, now well, a friend of mine over almost 40 years, he used to be in the House, now he's in the Senate, was a farmer journalist, a newspaper, uh, he gave The ranking member on the committee, Debbie Stabenow, Democrat from Michigan, too early in the process, $2.3 billion. Here, do with it what you want. And she chose to go to support urban agriculture and organic agriculture. Not that there's anything wrong with it. However, when you have limited to funds, you ought to maximize your safety nets for production agriculture. Uh, that 2. Point, it eventually worked out to be 2.6 billion dollars. That should have been used to raise reference prices, because uh, we're going to see that the current safety net, if we if we were to go lower, especially on corn and soybean prices, if it's a bear market, uh, that safety net will be found wanting. The safety net has big holes in it definitely for the ARC program that was only good the first two years after the uh, 2014 Farm Bill Uh, loan rate increases for many commodities as Jack said including uh, yours uh I think that's always good up to a point. This was pushed by agricultural bankers, by the way. So I it's got a real big increase because theirs was way down relative to, to, to production costs. As, as long as it's not, uh, you know, production... Uh, impacts. Conservation Reserve Program will phase in increase the maximum of acres by 4 million acres, uh, 2 million of which are grassland. Uh, payment qualification. The language expands uh, the number of people who qualify for payment for, for farm program payments. Now here's one that will affect you, believe it or not. I hope I'm wrong here. but. The Congressional Budget Office didn't score this change very much. Uh, my history tells me that when we're through with this farm bill, there could be some huge payments made. Huge. Huge if you're, you know, President Trump, okay? And that could be used against the next farm bill process where they'll try to put the thrust to cut. And you know your program is low on the, on the, on the, on the pole. To cut. I think you'll be able to defend it, you know, but uh, I'm a little worried about this one. I, I, I'm not for sure, but it's one I'm going to track over the next few years. I don't want to talk too much about dairy. I think they have a very good dairy program now, equipped for the livestock producers is still amenable. You have uh, yield, uh, you know, potential for yield updates, uh, uh, etc. Okay, Jack. Now trade. We've got enough time and I want to leave ample time and we'll have it for your questions or or comments. Uh, What's what's Trump's uh, trade strategy? He will say tonight again, uh, too many years, both Republicans and Democrats, uh, we had failed uh, trade policy. I think he's right in some ways, very wrong in others, but especially with China, I think he's correct. I'll give you an assignment. The best book I've ever read on what's happening in China now is by Michael Pillsbury. Just think of Pillsbury, the doughboy, boy. Uh, the 100-Year Marathon. It's a good read, believe it or not. It's not boring. And it goes a long way of telling you why China is the power that they are and the power they will be in the future and how we were very naive over Democrat and Republican administrations to look the other way, under thievery of intellectual property and research, etc. And Trump knows that. And he always says, if you don't do it now, when will you do it? Because they're going to grow stronger and stronger. Now, Who's his team on this trade team? Bob Lighthizer is the U.S. trade rep. He's the key negotiator. He's not the final negotiator. You know, Trump. It's Trump. He's going to decide at the very end on China. And he said that last week. He said, I think this U.S.-China trade agreement will boil down to when I next meet with my very good friend, Xi Jinping. And it's probably going to happen in Vietnam in late February. They're best friends forever. Now, USTR Lighthizer, I've known him most of my career. He began as a staffer for Senator Bob Dole, Republican from Kansas. If you work for Dole, you know agriculture. He knows our industry, okay? Uh, he was the one who insisted that dairy market access be increased in Canada in this NAFTA 2.0 agreement because he knew that that would help him sell it to Congress and get Colin Peterson from Minnesota, a dairy state, perhaps on board. Uh, and if Colin goes and votes it, he can bring along a few other Democrats. But... Uh, he Then he became deputy uh, in the U.S. Trade Rep's Office, and when he left government, he went to be a litigator in the trade policy area, and he litigated a lot of companies who challenged uh, metal imports, isn't that interesting? Uh, he liked metal tariffs on countries. Uh, Peter Navarro, he's the Attila the Hun in the White House on trade policy, if you've ever heard him or seen him. He told a soybean group once that uh, the the impact of China, of the trade conflict with China, was a rounding error. I mean, that was an insult. He's an economist with a calculator who still can't add, is what I'd write about him, okay? Uh, But Trump, of course, Trump loves to hear him speak, then he'll use him. He uses people uh, to scare China. He puts him right opposite uh, the Chinese delegation when they sit down. You can see it in the pictures. Uh, it's all—it's not theater. Uh, Robert Ross, Commerce Secretary, made his initial money metal tariffs. Isn't there a theme here? So that's why. Early in the administration, they invoked tariffs on uh, aluminum and uh, uh, and steel. So there's a reason for this. Then on the moderate side, you have Steve Mnuchin, who's Treasury Secretary. Good guy. He's market-oriented. Came from Goldman Sachs. He's the reason in the group. And uh, he's going over in mid-February with Lighthizer to Beijing to lay the groundwork for Trump and and Xi and, uh, talks. So hopefully we can get into a, a comprehensive agreement with unambiguous enforcement is the way they say it. So he's important. So when he speaks, listen. Uh, Larry Kudlow is just a chum. Uh, He's National Economic Council Advisor. Um, If you watch MSNBC uh, or Fox Business Channel, both pretty good from from the business side. They're not like their alternative cohorts in the political end. Uh, He's frequently on it. I think he has trouble with numbers even though he's National Economic Council guy, but he has the ear of the President, so at least listen to him. USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue is on this list. Uh, Mr. Perdue successfully fought Trump from leaving NAFTA in the early months of his administration because he gave uh, Trump a series of char- colored charts. Don't give Trump much to read. He just doesn't read. You know, he likes charts. You know, and if they tell a story. Yeah. and uh, he put out the charts to show how significant trade with Canada and Mexico was to certain states of which he won in the 2016 election. Now that caught the president's eye. So, um, Sonny is a trader. T-R-A-D-E-R. And when he first interviewed with Trump, Trump remembered that. He clamped on to that, actually he came back to Sonny Perdue. Uh, and because he knows risk. Sonny knows there's risk winners and losers in policy decisions. It's not easy. There's always going to be a winner and loser if you make a policy determination. Sonny as a commodity trader knows this. I think it's in good stead. Now if we were to go into a continued trade war with China and if we don't pass this USMCA, he is going to have to make some decisions himself because he's going to be under the albatross in the ag industry. So his final report card is to be determined. No one wins in a trade war. We have comparative advantages as our country. I've already said in the transportation end. Uh, our soil and, in many cases, again, you, you don't have the soils like I grew up with in Illinois, black earth. You didn't have to pay for earthworms to fish, which I do now in Virginia. You yeah. uh, know, the river markets, the just, just the the procurement end, the, the transport, the processing end, uh, the mills. You know, uh, all the systems. We have a pretty good system, uh, and so, but now it's running backwards because trade constraints uh, pull the rug out from under advantages. So let's hope that ends. It also can lead to an economic growth slowdown in the world. In many parts of U.S. agriculture, the meat sector, corn and soybeans, uh, wheat, meat exports. And uh, China's economy has been uh, Going down. It's not, uh, you know, it's not in a in a bear market. It's probably growing about six percent GDP, gross domestic product, which means economy. Now that may sound high to us, but uh, I remember, not so many years ago, they used to have ten percent, you know, GDP. It's because they're they're really a developed country now. They're no longer developing. Uh, they're on the thrust, but. The reason China is a linchpin to other sectors of the world, especially emerging markets, South Korea, et cetera, is because they trade a lot with them. So if China's economy is going, uh, is weakening, would be the phrase, it weakens a number of other countries, and you don't want to tip uh, the GDP for the world under 3.5 percent. So watch that figure. You have real robust markets in agriculture when world GDP is 4% or higher. Just the history shows that. So this is why all this uh, is important, okay, Jack? Now, here's Trump's grand strategy, and you've seen it now, we, we've seen it enough, but if you read his book, you would have known that, part of the deal, he's following through page by page. People say, you can't run the government like a business. Tell Trump that, you yeah? um, He wants to maximize leverage, and then he cuts a deal. He threatens to bolt, then he negotiates. And even if he he negotiates a new USMCA, which he has done, he'll still threaten to even leave that. Uh if it's not approved by Congress. He says that he'll 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 give Congress six months' notice to totally leave NAFTA deal. Ooh. Now that would be big. I don't think that will happen. I don't think Congress would go along with that. They would challenge that. But if he were to do that. There's two instances, I'm going to tell you this, as an investor. Uh, if we don't have a recession in agriculture now, uh, we will have, if that were to happen. Okay? Now, his, grain, his best threat that he's used several times already is to threaten the country that he's going to invoke tariffs on their automobiles and their auto parts, Industry. That's what got Japan to the table to do a bilateral trade agreement with us, probably talks are going to begin sometime this month. They were fighting it until then. Why? Look at the significance of 20% tariffs on Japan. It would cost their manufacturing 8.5 billion dollars. Uh, in annual manufacturing cost. Trump knows that. They sell 1.7 million cars here annually, and they produce more to sell in other locations around the world, so that 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 meant a lot. Canada actually uh gave a little in the dairy end, not for agriculture because Trump threatened auto tariffs on that country. The EU, the European Union, he's done the same thing. Now, if he were to do it with the EU, uh we're gonna we're I have ongoing talks to have a trade agreement with the EU. And EU doesn't want to include agriculture in any new trade agreement with the U.S. I'm sorry, you won't have a new trade agreement if it doesn't include agriculture, because Congress and farm groups have said so, and I and I agree with that. But if Trump watches those talks, and if they go on and on, which they probably will because it's the EU, you know, uh, it's just they just do things like that, um, you know Trump's patience is not very long. Uh, he could knee jerk and just invoke tariffs on Europe's auto, Germany, Germany. If he were to do that, you would have a world recession. Just again, I hope, uh, I hope that doesn't come about. I can't predict it right now, but I'm fearful of it. My family says I'm a Catholic. They, they say I'm a Catholic Jew because I worry all the time, okay? I just go to bed and say, oh my God, what if this happens? You know, defensive equities, okay? Now, uh, so what did Trump do for agriculture? He eased some of the pain via those tariff aid payments. They've made, uh, as of today, $6.4 billion in payments. The majority of which have gone to soybean growers. Uh, over 800,000 farmers have applied for those payments. So they've got a, about $1.2 billion more too. Pay out that cushioned the blow. Of course, that didn't make it, uh, 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 you know, real uh, a lot better. Uh, you know, because the numbers China used to buy, thirty million tons or more of U.S. soybean. The, uh, over sixty percent of your of, of U.S. soybean exports went to China, and that has unleashed a lot of implications. Where China's buying from Brazil and Argentina, and set off more investments around the world, and that's not going to change okay jack Okay. Bottom line, USMCA will Congress approve in 2019. Yes, I just don't know when. Uh, but the Democrats will extract money for trade adjustment assistance to, to uh, millions of dollars, uh, in order to uh, train, you know, people for other jobs. It's not all bad. And they'll get uh, side letters for enforcement. The metal tariffs. Here's another one that I'll guarantee you higher prices the day that it's rumored that's going to be announced. If we still have metal tariffs on our allies, Mexico and Canada. And Trump pledged that if he got an agreement on the USMCA from Canada and Mexico, not from Congress, that he would lift those tariffs. He hasn't. So I don't know whether he'll say anything about this tonight. I hope he does, because that'll lead to higher cash prices for a number of U.S. Commodity. So listen for that tonight. The EU I've already talked about. Japan I've already talked about. Uh, China. Let's go to the next one because this is what it's up. We've had the talks, and as long as people are talking, to me that's good because you can get a resolution. We saw that in the when they shut down the government. uh, the two sides were talking. So how can you have an agreement if they're not talking? So at least we have this committee formed that they're meeting every day now. But the Trump-G summit at the end of February. I mentioned Lighthizer Mnuchin is going to Beijing in the middle of this month. Uh, China has pledged to buy and they announced the 2.6 million tons of soy being purchased today today, not day, which is the third largest ever U.S. soybean daily export sale. Now, uh, it's starting to add up. They're also going to buy some corn, wheat, maybe some sorghum, uh, hopefully some meat, especially as this agreement uh, continues to unroll. The hurdles, is the big ones, is intellectual property, business investments, etc. Because China will concede a few things, but uh, there there is a sense of power too. Xi does not want to be seen as losing too much power in this agreement. But now here is what frequently is not understood. When Trump says he thinks the U.S. has the numbers on our side short-term to get this agreement, most people don't believe that. But I think he's right. This is why. Uh, if you were to go to China in the major cities... Beautiful buildings now. I remember when they didn't have hardly any in 1980 when I went there at the end of their commune system. And now I go over and it's just like a two year education every time I go back of the, the, uh, the, the progress that I've seen them make. But when you go in the cities, you see a lot of buildings, new buildings, but they're un- unoccupied number of them. So why is that? They're beginning the process of moving many of their 800 million, which they call peasants, in the rural side, into the cities. Why? They want to industrialize agriculture. Right now they're mini plots, not mechanized much at all. They want to start with the big tractors and the combines and larger hectareage and acre farms. That's going to take a decade or so, but they're beginning the process, but they have to move people. So in order to to, to encourage, of course they will tell if they have to, but uh, they'll enforce it, Uh, they give them a room a condo, if you will, apartment, in these buildings, and then they give them another one so they can rent to another person who already is in the city for income until they find a job. Now, when they find a job, a lot of the times it's in manufacturing plants. Now, they have to uh, export a number of their products. If you lose the U.S. market, G's plan uh, it cannot be executed. Trump knows that. Now that's all in Michael Pillsbury's book. So, read it. Now, uh, last two and then when I open up for questions. Farm income transition. We've seen the down years. Uh, I was at a meeting, eh, November last year in Illinois, uh, at an ag banker meeting. Let me just say what I can say. And, Um, they were instructing their staffers how to call up farmers and their spouses to bring them in to tell them the bad news about their cash flow. This is uh, Illinois. This is Black Earth country. These are aggressive farmers. Uh, Go to the next one we have lost 70% of working capital, aggregately, in agriculture, since the peak in 2012, the Google years. years. Where, thank goodness, we had two or three, not just good years, very good years. That's equivalent to you get uh, good sugar content, uh, good tonnage, and record prices. It's about the equivalent here, is how I translate it. but. Farmers have eaten into not just a chunk, a big chunk of equity. So this is why I say it's gut check year. Uh, we need higher prices, period, in many areas. I think it's been masked uh, the last few years in the Midwest from record to near record corn and soybean yields. That will uh, soothe it for a while. Okay, Jack? And this is why, oh, on the next one, yeah. This is why, uh, that's not like the 1980s, not the depression in agriculture yet, but if we don't get a boost in, farm in net cash income, I think this calendar year, history shows what has to happen. Assets. Our land values are going to have to come down to, to, re, to re-peg it cash rents are going to have to come down. That's what's always happened in the past. Again, I'm not predicting it. I'm just saying something's going to have to give. But the last one, I end on positive. How can you industry weather the market conditions, proven marketing, uh, have your research for your crops? Every time I come to your meeting, I'm impressed about the research side. Uh, that you spend a lot of time on that to either eventually save your cost or keep you competitive in the yield area. Uh, uh, Cutting unnecessary cost. You make your best decisions in down years, not your bullish years. When prices are real high, that's when you buy a suite in in a football stadium, okay? That's what I see happening throughout my career. At least they maintain their value so you can sell it. The difference in this downturn that I see that I didn't see in the 1980s is farmers are more willing to sell, if they own land a parcel of their ground to keep their standard of living. I'm beginning to see that. A lot of sales on the book are not public by the way, in the Midwest. I've seen a lot of sales occur that's never announced publicly. Uh, Federal Reserve, what's going to happen to rate increases? It's either going to be one or none. That's what uh, most of the smart people tell me. U.S. economy, pretty good. And if we can get rid of this uncertainties, our business and markets, they don't like uncertainties. Trade policy, China, you know, analysts and commodity markets, they hate policy. They hate politics. But now they have to watch it, you know. They're used to 1 plus 1 equals 2. But on a good day in Washington, 1 plus plus one equals three on a good day. But smart people have a hard time understanding that. So I think we have now prudent uh, monetary policy. The State of the Union address, uh, watch his topics, watch his tone, to see if there's any chance here in this calendar year for consensus building both political parties. The other positives, longer term, we're still the home to the greatest innovations and the innovators in the world, we see it in the ag industry all the time, we're in the throes of the second industrial revolution in agriculture, over 90% of the drones over the next decade will be for what one industry, agriculture. There's just in Arizona, saw continued use of ag robots in the harvesting, planting, etc. Uh, that's going to continue. Last few years, I've seen 24 7 fully automated dairies, ag robots. Uh, And they've got the uh, price down, you know, break-even price down from seven years down to five years. So that's what agriculture has always done when they've had a labor issue. Uh, They seek elsewhere because they can't count on Washington. I I think there is a way, a consensus building for an immigration bill, but it's sensitive. Ooh, it's sensitive. Uh, But the industry is not waiting. You know, I tell people, you know, my father dealt with it uh, when he was growing up. They had 13 kids. That was their solution to labor. Do you want to have 13 kids nowadays? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, we're still a credit-worthy nation with great talent, as opposed to Europe. Look at Europe's banking situation. Not good. That's another worry I have, okay? Okay. Uh, diversity and population growth. We're one of the only, I think we're the only major developed country that has a higher population growth. And our distribution of, of the population, younger people at the base growing, and then it goes this way, and then we have the older people, like myself, 68 million, you know, baby boomers, are quote, retiring. That's a good sign. Russia's the complete opposite. In a few years, Russia won't have enough men to even uh, uh, do their military. Yeah, that's, that's Russia, they're gonna have problems. China's about in the middle. So go into their distribution patterns and you're, you'll see we're primed not only domestically for your good products but around the world we're targeting the Philippines as a country that has a distribution of population similar to ours uh, and, and other countries. That's what smart people are doing for their market access in the years ahead. And the last one, we're still in a world in need of protein. And, uh, sugar's, sugar's a protein. You know? You, you need a, a spot of energy? What's, be, what's best? Peanuts? Very good. Very good if you're not allergic. Yeah? Very good. I'd pop a peanut on a plane. Yeah? Uh, so I'm saying you're in a growth industry. Don't let anybody tell you you're not in a growth industry because you are. We just have to have right monetary, fiscal, and uh, trade policy, and an adequate safety net, uh, so you can be left alone, alone, quotes, to do what you uh, always have done: uh, produce a very, very good crop. That's my formal presentation. I thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Jim. Jim, I'm going to give you a moment to catch your breath, just, just to add on to your, your trade policy stuff. I, I heard in a discussion with the deputy USTR recently the most uh, cohesive explanation of the administration's trade policy, it's not a joke. Um, He said that uh, all the trade policy for this administration is focused on one thing, and that is China. Everything else is the underbrush. And so they started trying to remove all the underbrush so that they could focus on uh, China. In order to deal with the underbrush of NAFTA, they had to deal with the sugar issues that were outstanding. And the suspension agreements that they put together were the first uh, step in removing that piece of underbrush. Uh, in the U.S. Mexico Canada agreement, I, I keep wanting to say I thought the Marine Corps had an academy, but it, it, yeah. it doesn't. Uh, anyway, in, in that agreement, they did uh, maintain our relationship with Mexico and, and accepted the suspension agreements as um, our policy. In Canada, uh, we provided a very small bit of access. It was the access that had been uh, agreed to in TPP before uh, the President. Uh, to pour it up. So there, have, there was a very small um, change in our relationship with Canada, but other than that, the NAFTA provisions held with suspension agreements in place. Um, and then from there, g- dealing with uh, the EU and then with Japan, again, it's clearing all the underbrush so that you can fo- focus exclusively on China. Why now? Um according to him between 7 and 15 years from now China reaches a tipping point and they are the US in terms of a, a fully developed economy that can absorb a lot of blows like we are right now. Um, th- what we are doing with Canada is I mean with China is definitely hurting China. And so that is a part of getting them to come to the table. You can't do that after 7 to 15 years, according to the deputy USDR, you won't be able to have that kind of leverage on them. So that is why the focus is and remains on, on China. Now, Jim, I heard twice you say if... The president runs for re election. So that's my first question.
2: What do you know? I wondered if anybody would pick up on that. You know, forecasting Trump. I'm sorry, you're in the grave. But, uh, um, I, and I'm not saying that because he, I think he'll get impeached. But when we ever get the Mueller report, if we do, yeah uh i don't think that it'll be the uh the uh the uh, you know, uh, you know flying the ointment for him i don't uh, he'll probably he's pretty good at assessing things of of uh, if he's going to win or lose eventually uh i'm not saying he'll walk away from a hard race but god admit it's been trying i mean it's not not just every day every hour. Uh, you know, someone or some group, uh, or some lawmaker is, is against him. And that can be, that can be wearing. And if some of these things don't go right, this trade policy is key. And, uh, he'll start losing, Jaron, I-N-G, some support in rural countryside if he doesn't get a big win pretty soon, by planning time, I would say, in China. Uh, he just needs it. He knows that. Have you ever seen a president that talks agriculture and farmers as much as he does? I haven't. You know, he, I know he says the farmers, he loves the farmers, and, uh, but I mean, he's focused on ethanol, uh, Bioviso, he talks dairy, he talks, uh, trade, soybeans, etc. So, I'd rather have the focus at that end because I think he knows the, uh, the rural, uh, side. And in elections, the Democrats, the, the, the fear, another fear I have is the growing urban-rural divide. The Democrats increasingly are urbanites and suburbanites. Well, they're going to need some rural votes if they if they return to power too. Um, Republicans have to maintain the over sixty percent uh, usual votes of you know for the Republican Party. So both sides want to. That's a pretty good position to be in, okay? I'm frequently asked a question on this NAFTA, or the USMCA, which I really Better for agriculture, good agreement. It doesn't amount to all that much. Maybe there's been Purdue University estimates of a little over four hundred million dollars, but I don't think that says the full thing because it maintained our trade relationships, the North American distribution system between Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. And I think that's important. Plus, it brought in some trade disciplines in digital and other industries that were not around twenty-four years ago when we had the original NAFTA, plus as you said on the sales suspensions. Now, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Luther Marquardt told me that if the USMCA would go, would not be approved, or and if uh, NAFTA would go away, those are two big ifs, uh, the sales suspension agreements would remain. Is that true? Okay. That's something that I think a lot of people outside the sugar industry does not realize. And that was a a big reason to get that sales suspension agreement. And I've asked a number of you, well, you had a good crop, sugar content, depending who you ask, uh relatively good price. Why on the prices, the sales suspension? Agreement usually comes to the top. So policy is important. I think you know that, but you got to keep it.
1: And just to connect the dots, the Clinton yeah. agreements were a part of the uh, use of U.S. trade law. It wasn't an after case, that's why. Okay. okay. Um,
2: now, see, if you would talk to a trade lawyer, to get that, he just did it in ten seconds. You'd go, oh, you'd have to go, you'd have to faint about the hour it would take for a trade lawyer to tell you that. Okay, that signal and noise right there. Okay.
1: <laughs> now Sam has a microphone. We are uh, open to taking questions from the audience. If you have a question, raise your hand. Sam will come to you. Uh, While we are waiting for hands, I would just ask, and you touched on this, but is there any concern about uh, sequestration and spending uh, caps not being raised? Are we going to have to deal with uh, reducing the farm bill we just did?
2: Uh, In a brief, no. And sequestration is across-the-board cuts, to read a, a number. Now, Congress will have to come up with a budget cap for discretionary spending in the months ahead for fiscal year 2020 that starts October 1. So that's important to to, to watch out for. uh, There's more of a concern later out, in what we call the out years, because sooner or later, the budget deficit and the debt, and the debt is just an accumulation of deficits, and the, the annual deficits are going to be over $1 trillion again once we focus on that again if the market started getting really nervous they're going to look at all areas to cut and that's where farm programs could come back on, under the chopping block, yeah. Uh, uh,
1: Jim, you said you had no idea who was going to run against the president, but knowing you, I know you have three horses in the race and you
2: got to <laughs> share them with us. Well, Biden if he runs, now see the younger people in the party would say we need a young energetic person, should be female, preferably black, you know, Kamala Harris, you know. Uh, but if Biden were to run, he still hasn't made his decision he would be key in those industrial states. And a Biden-Harris ticket would be formidable because it would bring in the blocks of the Obama coalition that I think would would, uh, present a formidable uh, force. I'm not saying it's impossible to beat that uh, duo, Okay, um, and because Kamala Harris has some negatives involved with some of her policies. But Biden is a gentleman first, and he's been around. Uh, the other ones, uh, you never know the star of the moment, you know, Beto O'Rourke. Now, talk about inexperienced, you know. Uh, so I don't know whether we want to go that way. American public might want a more seasoned, person he or she this time and uh, but we'll have to see the e- economy at the time that they uh, that they're actually you know debating I think it's going to be important too California moved up their their primary to February, and so that means I will may not have the importance. It'll be important, but it may not have the importance that it usually does because of uh, they'll have to also campaign in a number of states. So I think that's going to change the dynamics. But the other one I would think would be a dark horse would be Klobuchar, as I indicated. Uh, she would be uh, she could get the independence. It's going to really be the fight over the twelve to fifteen percent of the population that are truly independent. Most people who say they're independents vote for one party or the other usually. But the true independent, I think, uh, you put Klobuchar in front of them and she looks pretty good.
1: Okay? George, will you take the last question for us?
2: Jim, are we going to get any compromise on this immigration reform? I mean, we're, we're held hostage for labor. Is yeah. the rest of the country feeling this labor? Oh, I, I, wherever I go, the rest of the country is feeling the labor. Whether it's the a hog, I, I, I just talked to a seaboard person, and they recently expanded their facilities uh, in Iowa, and they can't find enough workers for the second shift. Uh, can't even truck them out. Uh, the, uh, the the horticultural fields, as I said, can't find the work of dairy industry. That's why the movement to more and more of the, uh, you know, uh, robotic dairies. Uh, the grape harbors, et cetera, I've seen, the development. Immigration bill, what are the chances for reform? Uh, the hurdles are many, uh, because compromises are gonna have to be made. Do you go a blue card? Do you go a green card? Do you, if you, uh, if you increase H-2As, how much? It's always too little on that. But I think the components are there. I would watch Lindsey Graham is the head of the Judiciary Committee, Republican from South Carolina. If there's a guy who can get something going in the Senate, it's Lindsey Graham uh, that will do the hard work necessary. I think you have enough willing Democrats who have heard, not just from the ag community, but the business community, that uh, uh, the you know, lack of workers are hurting growth. You know, and it's going to lead to eventually higher real wage rates, which we should have, but you don't want it because you don't have the, you know, necessary number of people. So, the country is ahead of Washington again on the need for uh, immigration reform, but I really think it can be done If even in a, it, 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 it has to be done this year. It will not be done in a presidential election year. So, we still have a chance. Okay? <laughs> All right.
0: I thank you again very much for your time. Sugar cane, sweet sugarcane the, the Louisiana Sugarcane News Podcast is brought to you by the American Sugar Cane League. For more information about the Louisiana sugar cane industry, visit lacane.org. I'm your host, Sam Irwin. Thanks There's for listening. Shade this tree the shields me from relentless heat, an afternoon shower possibly. But then the temperatures increase, the men are working in the field.